Hey, welcome to James Crowley's Infinite Playlist, the podcast where I try to hear every song that's ever existed, a podcast on the Lughole Network. This is the most awkward intro I've ever done. Uh, we have a very special episode for you today um, because it, it's very significant because my significant other is the guest, <laughs> uh, Emmy Alberano. Emmy, how's it going? How's it babe? going? Hi, babe. <laughs> um, it's incredibly awkward. To, it's incredibly awkward to do that all the time, but it's even more awkward because it, like you've been here this whole time oh and we've had this playlist for like four months already <laughs> well uh, that but like uh, but just like the fact that like what normally ends up happening when i do this podcast is i'll like bring someone in and i'm like oh hey how's it going can i get you something to drink yeah i use the bathroom things like where like you've just been like, uh, like here, here. <laughs> we just had dinner with my family <laughs> and now we're deciding to do this right right um so we have drinks it's good it's exciting um this week the theme the playlist is classical music um because you are a cellist. classical musician yes yes <laughs> cellist philanthropist feminist oh, I'm we're just, just going right instagram from my instagram bio, bio. <laughs> um it's very catchy I, I always think that it's funny a little bit with philanthropist because I always think of Tony Stark when I think of a philanthropist. That really, that stemmed from college more so than anything. <laughs> I actually took that out, but I guess you don't pay attention to me because I'm not doing any philanthropic work. <sighs> <laughs> anyway, but <laughs> but you work in the classical music industry um, and you have for a very long time. You're incredibly knowledgeable about this. Um, so I'm excited. I know very little, as will be evidenced as we get into. I can our already playlists. tell by your part of the playlist. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> you'll you'll know my gripes once right we get off. there, but it's totally fine. I have had people diss me, but usually not right off the bat. But you're doing <laughs> this with your girlfriend. That's true. Um, <laughs> this wouldn't have happened if we did this like a year ago. Oh, I would have been so hypersensitive to your needs. And I'm like, eh, whatever. Um, anyway, um, but before we get into music and the playlist, uh, do you have anything that you'd like to plug? My Instagram is two underscores E dot K dot A. It's my initials and my Twitter is at Emmy Hoot. Um, and I'm sure if you follow me, you will be able to find Emmy oh, because yeah. I, tag her a lot we cross post a lot all the time um you know that that's like part of dating you know it's just all gotta just let social media know that you're with a person it's all just cross posting absolutely um, but so um before we get into the playlist by the nature of the playlist people know that you listen to classical music mm -hmm. but what else do you normally listen to you know the same shit you listen to um pop <laughs> Give pop punk examples. rock pop R&B, you know, all that this is me. fun stuff. Give specific artists. I'm going to write this down. <laughs> <laughs> don't I don't do know that. what my girlfriend listens to. We um, listen to the same stuff, except for classical. That's a me thing. Uh, that, uh, but like I've I've listened to classical music before, and I've listened to it at various points in my I life. I feel like when we first started talking, you were t like I remember us distinctly talking about you starting to listen to classical music more like during the work day. Yeah, because I kind of like I like having instrumental music. Mm -hmm. I uh, well at that yeah. point in time I liked having instrumental music during the work mm -hmm. day. I still like having instrumental music when I read, and mm -hmm. I mean there is like core. 
excuse me, choral classical music, but there is like, uh, you know, I tend to think of classical music mostly as instrumental music. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's kind of why it draws me in for like when I'm reading. The same reason Mm -hmm. when I listen to like jazz. Right. But so, yeah, but I do remember, I do remember us talking very early on and you kind of like suggesting things and me being like, oh, I'll throw that on while I'm at work. And you're like, that's not good to throw on while you're at work. <laughs> I kind of did that on purpose. I'm like, I'm going to give you this piece to listen to. And then you would text me and be like, what was that? I'm like, haha, I got you. Right. And, I and would it would be, be like, the okay. most like intimidating, anxiety ridden kind of piece. I remember I gave you Stravinsky's Rite of Spring and I'm like, just listen to it. It's super soothing. And meanwhile, the no, whole you wouldn't begin- tell me it was super soothing. You would tell me this probably isn't <laughs> Like, you might as well have been sending me, like, a Fear Factory song. (laughs) Um, But, yeah. But, so, before we kind of get into the specifics of the playlist, what was kind of your approach? I just wanted to give you the pieces that have meant the most to me. Um, I mean, I can give you thousands of playlists on what's my favorite. But when when it comes down to my favorite classical music I wanted to give you things that kind of because I studied it right you know yeah. when I was and you had to narrow it down to like yes 10 so when so in undergrad I, I had a I was a music literature minor and basically what those classes were was just very intense study of classical music history and you know for those classes I would have to listen to for each exam it had to be like between 20 to 30 pieces I had to know like once my teacher played it, I would have to know the composer, the title of the song, the year it was, you know, written and why it was significant during that era. And so I've been through many, many, many playlists of, you know, classical music. And I just wanted to narrow down my favorite historical pieces as well as just like my favorite, as you'll see, some of my fun, like cinematic classical music. Absolutely. Um that was not kind of how I approached this. <laughs> Where for, for me, I was trying to pick my favorites. I realized that it was kind of difficult to pick my favorites. And mm. some of them, uh, you know, I'm sure you'll roast me are kind of entry level. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I mean, I was able to pick things that were kind of favorites and things that have resonated with me. But it was interesting to kind of play ours side by side. Um, something I did want to kind of throw out, which isn't really an approach thing, but it's something that I told you about this as I was listening. Um, this made me think a lot of the movie Liberal Arts, um, mm-hmm. which I believe is written by, directed by, and starring Josh Radner <laughs> um, of How I Met Your Mother fame, mm-hmm. um, where he... It's very problematic when you get to the plot points, but basically at one point he kind of like starts crushing on an undergrad student who is also very into classical music played by Elizabeth Olsen. And is that me? <laughs> well, now that she's a redhead, it very well could be. Um, but, but so he kind of starts crushing on her and she starts sending him I don't know if she sends him mixtapes or just like lists of things to check out, but as he's um, listening to it, he says he tells her about like what resonates with him mm. and kind of like how it really kind of like moves him in his everyday life. So as I was listening to a lot of these in my everyday life, it was interesting to kind of see how these things end up kind of resonating and play out and kind of add a sense of grandeur to 
normality, mm-hmm. um, especially now when there is no normality. Mm-hmm. Um, it very much reminded me uh, recently of uh, people that listen to the podcast wouldn't know because I never talk about it uh, in terms of stuff I'm listening to, but I've been listening to a lot of jazz lately mm-hmm. and it made me feel very similar to how I feel when I listen to jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, and But so yeah, I wanted to throw that out there. Before we get into the playlist, there's a lot of names that are very hard to pronounce. You will probably correct me. Uh-huh. Um, the titles are incredibly long in track listings for they're very formal music. yeah yeah so um there might be moments that i'm like excuse me listing things that don't totally make sense <laughs> or you know feel free to cut me off um but uh let's get into it with your first pick which was petrushka seven dance of the wet nurses mm-hmm. by igor stravinsky ah You know, Petrushka is one of my favorite pieces. So Stravinsky, first and foremost, is my favorite composer. Um, he was a Russian composer, and he was one of the like um, late Romantic, early, how we say, um, modern composers. And he was very big on romanticism, folklore, and he was best known for his three ballets, which in the order is Firebird, Petrushka, and The Rite of Spring. The fire right of spring you can't listen to while you're trying to work. No, because it's about <laughs> a virgin sacrifice, and it was very not well received back then. Um, you know, the right of spring and the firebird are one of our peop- are the pinpoints in Stravinsky's career. The firebird, in the title, it's basically a folk tale about you know a phoenix bird. That's the best way you can explain it. And the music is beautiful and elegant and emotional and extravagant. Requires a hundred musicians. It's so passionate and so beautiful and the rite of spring is about a virgin sacrifice and as you've heard in the past it is aggressive they use um they say it's like barbaric and you know and it wasn't received very well people literally got up and left because you know that's what they did back then and petrushka gets pushed to the side a lot because mm -hmm. just kind of like from what i gathered from listening is petrushka kind of like a comedy it's kind of it's it's a dramedy it's um petrushka is a little puppet and he is in love with a princess and um so it's pinocchio it's yeah (laughs) so it's about a little puppet who's in love with the princess and the princess can't be with him because he's just a puppet and there's the big shining knight and you know that's who she's supposed to be with and the whole music the whole musical the whole ballet (laughs) is about um (laughs) The whole ballet is basically about Petrushka trying to get the princess to love him. Um, and it becomes very tragic at the end because Petrushka, Petrushka dies. And um, again, it gets kind of overseen through Stravinsky's ballets because, you know, he it, it's, again, it's a dramedy sandwiched between 
chaos and a beautiful bird. So, you know, but when I listened to it, I, because I did an extensive paper about it in college, which is why I fell in love with him. And I just thought the music was so fun and different and quirky and sparky. And you can kind of get that, that was in the music. Yeah. It's when basically it's him. Sorry. Basically, it's him kind of just dancing around the village with the wet nurses and you know it's just it's just so beautiful and i am just i'm dying to see it if the new york right. city ballet ever does it when i was listening to this it's funny kind of comparing both of our playlists because i felt like yours yours were much more like visceral in terms of like mm -hmm. making me think of images and think of like things that could happen and this made me think uh, like i knew nothing about this kind of going in you know even if you'd explained it to me it what when i was going in i was trying kind of going in a blank slate and uh, in my notes i wrote oh it's a comedy about women trading babies <laughs> um, <laughs> and i think you part know, of that's because it's like wet nurses yeah. you know i'm kind of thinking like okay uh, i don't even know what a wet nurse is i think that's if like i'm being honest like neither do i i think it's just like the type of dance and the type of characters that they were um well i think a wet nurse is in those terms i think that it was like a um a poorer woman that a richer woman would pay to breastfeed their babies that's probably it which, which is which makes sense because in that case they are like the lower tier of society and so is petrushka and so they're all dancing in the right. village together because that's who they this are this would be a great tiktok song because it's about big fat mommy milkers <laughs> <laughs> i guess so and actually if you you know, later on when we get to that piece, there is actually, I put this song on the playlist before it became very popular on Tuk Tuk. I think you might know what it is. There's a song in my playlist that is a very popular TikTok um, song recently. I actually don't. You'll have we'll to get to it. You'll it's, say it when. Yeah, <laughs> it's the swan. And, um, um, it's but, <laughs> but yeah, so, um, yeah, no, Petrushka is my favorite ballet. And um, I just love the wet nurses because it's just a lively, piece of music and then Petrushka's theme is also in it, it, it it's also in it um like da, na, 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 na. that's Petrushka's theme so whenever he comes out that's the kind ah. of you know that's the thing with things like operas and ballets like each character you have the musical gets a theme kind of and yeah. Petrushka's theme is my favorite I mean the paper that I did in college was like my question was how did Stravinsky use folklore in his three major ballets and so that was my, I think that's why I love it so much because that little snippet of like notes is just what I live by. It's just my favorite. Absolutely. Well, let's keep on rolling along into my first song, which was Seasons Winter One <laughs> um, by Antonio Vivaldi. Mm -hmm. much younger i would have told you vivaldi was my favorite composer he's awesome um, he's the redheaded priest he 
I didn't know he was a redhead. He mm-hmm. he is very good. I always think well because I remember when I was in middle school, my music teacher each year he would kind of pick a different musician and kind of dedicate like two or three months of uh, class to teaching him. And we were having music class once a week, Catholic school. Um, and he, I forget who it was my senior year, but like my freshman, my, not my senior year, it was middle school. Um, <laughs> I forget who it was eighth grade, but in seventh grade, it was Sting and John Dowland. Um, <laughs> and I cannot stand Sting or John Dowland to this day because of it. Um, but when I was in sixth grade, it was Antonio Vivaldi, and we focused mainly on um, the four seasons. Mm-hmm. And I remember one part that he was playing, and I forget what it is off the top of my head, but he was like, you know, this kind of sounds like a guitar solo from Jimi oh, Hendrix yes! or Eddie Van Halen. And I was like, oh, yeah, this does. And me being in sixth grade, only listening like to rock, rock I was yeah. like, hell yeah. And oh I remember God. he loaned me a CD of the four seasons that I would have on my like old school iPod with the four buttons. Um, but so I felt like it was appropriate to start the classical music playlist with that. Um, and I was kind of listening through the four seasons, trying to picture, pick a moment. And as I was listening to this, you know, section from winter, I really enjoyed it because it kind of captured a moment of winter that I feel Mm -hmm. like we don't necessarily think about a lot Mm -hmm. when we're talking about music in winter. When I think winter music, I think bleak. I think, you know, dark. I think gray skies. I think everything's dead. I think, you know, solemn, lonely Winter in Westchester. Exactly. But in this, I kind of picture the more like playful. He makes it beautiful. Aspect. Yeah. yeah. And I kind of picture like I, I end up thinking of like Bambi and like a deer running <laughs> yes! in the snow yeah, and yeah, like yeah. kind of like sliding on the ice. And it's kind of silly and mm-hmm. kind of, you know, we were planning to do this podcast in the middle of winter. <laughs> so like as I was driving right, was along spinning. in the car, I was like, oh, this is fun, you know, going to the supermarket. So, right. Yeah. No. Um. Oh, I. You see, like you say that, and I—that's kind of how, like, before you were saying, like, oh, my podcast, like my my playlist is like very visceral, and I feel like that's going to be the same with you. Whereas my notes are, I'm like, well, I already know how I feel about Vivaldi, so here's all the facts about <laughs> it. And no, you were right. So Vivaldi wrote the Four Seasons, and it was the first piece of programmatic music. So pro- programmatic music was, is basically what it sounds like it's music based on a thing based right. on a vision or a scene or imagery and, and I, stuff like I that i think it's worth noting that spring i believe it is is one of the most commonly yeah so the four seasons music. is basically like a string ensemble and a violin is the soloist throughout it and yeah. you can hear that in you know in the piece um but during during vivaldi's time it was you know it was a lot of, you know, you weren't allowed to write music unless it was for religious purposes or for royalty. And Vivaldi was like, I'm just going to do what I want. And it's funny that you say, like, oh, it sounds like rock and roll because that is exactly what we said as kids. So when I was in high school, I was at a performing arts high school, and, you know, our friends would always just be like, why do you, you know, because me and my friend Sam would always be in, like, you know, grungy clothes, but we'd be playing classical music, and they're like, how does this add up? And we're like, because Vivaldi's rock and roll, dude. <laughs> and that's actually, in my playlist, there's also another Vivaldi piece, and when I talk it's about sound- it, it's literally like a rock song. It's kind of, right. if, if it was amplified, and if you had your hair all the way down, and like shaking your head, 
it's it's a rock song. I do agree with you, but to some extent, when you say Vivaldi's rock and roll, it kind of has like youth pastor energy, where you're like, stop. You know with who the was youth. kind of a rock star? Jesus Christ. He, Jesus, yes. <laughs> no, but, um, but yeah, no, I dig. That. um but no you're absolutely right and i've enjoyed kind of learning different aspects of kind of the ins and outs of the classical music world through you where Mm -hmm. you're kind of like yeah it's not all the high society you know snobs that we tend to kind of associate with it Mm -hmm. um but on that note let's move on into your next pick which was the swan from carnival of the animals uh, by Camille Saint Saints. Saint 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 as performed by Yo-Yo Ma. Mm. Tell me about this. This is the song that's on TikTok, so I don't know if... What's <laughs> the trend? The, is the there trend, a trend is or? like, put this song behind a video of you and the person you're in love with. Oh. This is what it is. See, I don't see that on TikTok. I see... Because <sighs> I gotta fix your algorithm. I, I gotta send you them. I see pop but punk kids and <laughs> dominatrixes. <laughs> true. That's it. Mm, true. Um, but no, the Swan is very standard solo cello repertoire, and it is one of the most beautiful pieces ever and i'm gonna say that about probably every single song (laughs) on my playlist um but you know i don't have any historical facts about saint song because he wasn't really that problematic he was like i'm just gonna be a french man writing really pretty music (laughs) and um um, so you know saint song wrote a piece called you know carnival of the animals and each there's about 12 pieces and each piece highlights one instrument and the Swan is the most famous because it's by it's for a cellist. Duh. Um, you know, one of the things I love about this piece is that it taught me that you don't have to be a concert cellist. And what a concert cellist is, is, you know, yo-yo ma. Yo-yo, yo-yo ma, <laughs> where, you know, it's a cellist or a violinist or a pianist in the center of an orchestra and they play some crazy, wild, technical, incredible piece. Um, that's what a concert, you know, musician right. does in classical music. And but what, but what the Swan does is that it taught me that you don't need to have all of those um, technical things because it's very simple, but it's very very beautiful and it's easy to memorize. And I remember being in high school learning it's the about Ramones it. Ramones of classical music. Uh, I was waiting for the joke. <laughs> um, but it's it's again, it's just absolutely stunning. It uses like every tone on the cello it highlights the cello beautifully and i mean it was one of the first solo pieces i ever learned because i was like i'm not good enough to you know be a soloist but it's pieces like that that remind me that you don't need to be some like high wing multi-millionaire cello player to 
you know, play these beautiful pieces. And it's just one of my favorite. That was me learning the guitar solo to I Want to Be Sedated versus <laughs> the guitar solo to an Ingve Malmsteen song. Um, but no, I, I really enjoyed this. I said that it was calming and it kind of like, it kind of made me think about not that there was anything really sonically that did this, but it kind of made me think about sitting in a car by myself in the rain um, mm. where I could kind of see this fitting very well in like a light rainstorm, just hearing the, <laughs> the raindrops on the car roof. Mm -hmm. Maybe as I was writing this, I had just gotten out of the car while it was raining. It's supposed to depict a swan, but whatever makes you feel like, well, you know, if like I, Vivaldi with, with the seasons is programmatic. So like there's 12 pieces, each piece highlights one instrument and one animal and there's almost a swan. So uh, it's supposed to like depict a very graceful, beautiful swan swimming in a lake. But it's well, also very uh, emotional, right. so I get like wanting to like, listen right. to your I car also in the hate rain. Swans, <laughs> right? <you know>. <laughs> <laughs> no one listening will get that. But that's Aww. totally fine. Let's keep on moving along into my next pick, which was uh, Henrik Goricke's Symphony Number no. Three, Sin a Symphony of Sorrowful Songs. I went from kind of classic to something kind of off the wall very quickly. How is this off the wall? Well, I feel like it's not. I went from something kind of canonical to something not. Okay. And I feel like where Vivaldi is very playful and very fun and very like visceral, I felt like this song is much more of like a drone. Mm -hmm. um, That's exactly how I felt. I was listening to it and I'm like, why is this here? It doesn't do me anything. And then once the vocalist came in, I'm like, God, because, all right, look, I have, I have feelings about, um, so because I'm not an opera singer, because I'm not a vocalist, the things I usually go for don't include them. You know, like Beethoven's right. symphony number no. nine, ode to joy, it was the first orchestra piece to have a chorus. I'm like, why is everyone busting a nut over this? I don't get it. <laughs> it's just a bunch of singers. Um, over time, like in college, I did learn how to love opera and vocal music. But again, it came to me much later. So when I heard an uh, when I heard a vocalist in this, I'm like, oh, he's making me listen to this. Why? <laughs> and again, it it, it does. See, drone. but the vocals didn't like it, it, the thing with the vocalists. There there is a much more vocal piece later in my playlist. Mm -hmm. But like this, I didn't really think of the vocals so much as like the way that I normally think of vocals, where I tend to think of vocals as 
lyricism. And I tend to think of that because I come right. from a very lyrical pop punk, mm-hmm. you know, comedy is all words, you know, Duh. I'm thinking about words all the time. So with this, you know, the voice is very much more like an instrument and it's sort of in the same way that oh, yeah, absolutely. a lot of the metal that I listen to, mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily listening to Cannibal Corpse because I think the guy from <laughs> Cannibal Corpse has very profound lyrics that speak to my right. life. But like when that guy is screaming, it it adds something to the music that mm-hmm. like only that instrument can do right which i kind of feel the vocalist does in this mm-hmm. i also wrote that this feels like consumption i don't know what that means <laughs> because i don't know what that means either I think of consumption like the disease i guess i feel like in the sense that it like swallows you entirely. it does i, I kind of see what that i see what you mean by that i mean the things that i wrote where it's very repetitive, it intensifies, it's operatic. I'm like, but in my opinion, it's just an average, melancholic, typical ending to a piece of like orchestra repertoire. Like the last like minute and a half to two minutes is like the same chords being played over and over right. again. And I'm like, just end the piece, man. Just end it. Just right. But I kind of like this. And I mean, for me, someone that mostly listens to this type of I stuff. I also granted, I don't know who Henrik Orecki is. I don't so. know anything about it. So because um, I didn't study him at all, I'm just like, you're just some other guy, I guess. <laughs> but for me, when I'm listening to something like that, I'm mostly listening when I read. So mm-hmm. for me to be like, okay, this is something I could put on and it's 20 minutes. I don't have to. Mm-hmm. worry about hearing anything in the background i just have this and then right. i can focus on like my book mm. um but so you said you don't like vocals but your next song did have vocals and it was yes. serenity <laughs> oh magnum mysterium by oh- ola galo oh ola galo This is where my love of, um, I it's not orchestral because it's there's no orchestra in this piece, but you know Tim. Tim is my professor from college, who I'm very very close with to this day. And when I was a senior, I only did one semester because Oneonta was like, "Haha, psych, you're graduating early," and I'm like, Ugh. And so I tried to make my last semester count for something. And I remember, and I didn't have any classes with Tim that year. I, I went from having every semester either being his TA or being in one of his classes since freshman year to suddenly having nothing. And it was my last year. I felt very empty. I felt very sad. I wanted to be with my buddy. Um, and I'm sitting at Hunt Union, which was like the student like study center. We had Starbucks in there. And I'm doing homework with like a bunch of my friends. And he rolls up a chair. And he's really tall. He's like six foot two. He rolls up with his giant spider legs and he's just like i know what we're gonna do this semester i'm like yeah what and he puts this piece in front of me and he is like this is a piece for chamber vocal and solo cello 
and he's like, if there's anything you're doing this semester, it's learning this piece. And I'm like, okay. So I, I already have so much anxiety playing like recitals, doing solo things, because again, I prefer being with people. And although I'll be with people in a vocal group, it's solo cello. So it's very intimidating for me. Um, similar to what I said with the swan, this piece has a very simple cello line it is only whole notes and if anybody if any musician knows what that is it's basically just the same note for the same for the whole measure numerous times so it's just a bunch of different notes throughout the entire piece but it soars so beautifully over the right. vocalists that it is so ethereal and it's so dreamy and you know Ola Gelo is a modern composer he's you know he's a that kind He's of felt uh, out of everything on your playlist. This kind of felt like the most current. Yes. Um. And I mean, for me, I wrote. I think it's just the fact that it's choral music. I wrote that it sounds religious. Um, it is. Oh, Magnum Mysterium is a very common, um, I guess, verse in religious choral music, um, specifically in classical. If that makes any sense, like there's a lot of religious music. In classical music, and O Magnum Mysterium is a very like if you search O Magnum Mysterium, you're gonna get dozens of virgin, uh, virgin. <laughs> yeah, you'll get dozens, dozens of, of virgins <laughs> in your bed. Dozens right of virgins. If you can write this song, you're gonna be fucking all night long. It's <laughs> it's straight chicks from here, man. <laughs> Ola Gala was swimming in it. <laughs> He's very happy and married in New York. Okay. <laughs> But I didn't even know did. that it was a guy. <laughs> it was a guy. It's a guy. Ola's a guy. And uh, and I follow him on Twitter. He's very cool. Um, no, you get a lot of versions from different composers of um, O Magnum Mysterium. Um, but yeah, you know, I... Um, and that was one of like the last pieces I ever played at Oneonta. Right. And it was with... It's actually the one of the only videos on my Instagram I have of me playing. And it's with Tim with my best bud and um again this is more of a, like an emotional choice <laughs> um but i don't know it's stunning but also you were swimming in it afterwards i was swimming <laughs> in it afterwards um no that that is nice um was there anything else you had to say about it or it no, just felt religious it felt religious i said it feels very profound it kind of is very it it's sort of in the sense that like sort of in a similar sense to the Gorecki, where it's the sort of thing that i just kind of want to like sit and be consumed by right exactly um, and it consumed me yeah yeah <laughs> but uh let's keep on rolling along into my next pick which was in a landscape by john cage John Cage is, awesome. as as an artist, I think one of the most interesting people. Mm -hmm. He is, uh, yeah. Like to think, uh, just because, I mean, uh, you, 
as a performance artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, there's all sorts of, you know, snobby, shitty things you could say about performance artists because a lot of them are bad <laughs> and dumb. Um, and I mean, you can kind of say that about John Cage's stuff, most notably 433, uh, um, <laughs> which... I love learning about that. I, I think 433 is a very funny prank mm. to an extent, but I also think it's a very interesting sort of idea to explore from a musician. But then I yeah. also think of something like Oregon Squared, mm-hmm. which um, we won't be alive long <laughs> enough to hear the end of, right. um, where it's being performed in Germany, I think, mm-hmm. where it's a no changes every like 11 years or yeah. so. I think that is incredibly cool. And I mean, I've just always really enjoyed john cage's work and this song in particular it doesn't necessarily feel like either of those in the sense that it's kind of an outsider weirdo pick that's something i noted too but it's very pretty and calming um i always think about (laughs) when i was a teenager kind of going through my john cage phase there was someone that commented on a youtube video of this song where i was like this is kind of cool pretty whatever and someone said it sounds childish but not childish in the sense that it's like a little kid bashing on a piano but sort of a little kid just kind of like hitting random notes Mm -hmm. Um, and I really like that. And I like kind of the tonality of the version that I sent you where it feels like it's being played in an empty room. Right. Um, you know, it's cinematic. Yeah, almost. absolutely. It sounds like it belongs in a movie. No, John Cage is such an interesting character. I mean, I, I like what I liked about this piece is because exactly what you just said. Um, he is a virtuoso. No, not a virtuoso. Performance, performance artist. Performance artist. And, you know, everybody, he is known for 433. He is yeah. known for doing these. There are emo bands that cover 430. Cover right, absolutely. And, you know, there's. Huge air quotes around <laughs> <that>. <laughs> um, You know, and I feel like sometimes because he's been like this, I guess, icon in music for doing these stunts. And doing so many extreme He's things. He's like the David Blaine of music. Yeah. <laughs> and I think this piece reminded me that there is a music genius behind that. There is somebody behind all of that performance art and all of those stunts that truly just loves art for art's sake. I don't sense anything complex about this piece. I don't, you know, it's very poignant. It's very solemn. Um, it's repetitive. It's kind of like a metronome in many places where you just kind of like are hypnotized by it, right. but it's still very pretty. And I think we forget a lot of the time that John Cage at his core is just a musician with a piano. It, and yeah. It reminds me a lot of like what I end up hearing. I feel like anytime I like read about a rock star or interview someone and excuse me, they kind of like have like these great things, like you think about like Slash with Sweet Child of Mine, mm-hmm. classic riff, mm. where that was just a guy messing around and then yeah. Axl Rose was like, that's a song, <laughs> yeah. you know? And I think, you know, this kind of just sounds like he was almost like, ah, I'm, I'm fucking around, put it yeah, out, you know? I'll write it down. piano and hanging, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I love this. I it's gorgeous. This I love, a lot. I put, I put a heart next to it because I liked it a lot. Um, but let's keep on rolling along into your next pick. I'm not going to even try to pronounce his full name, but he's Hold on, classic. I forgot who it is. Ah! Tchaikovsky. Tchaikovsky. <laughs> uh, Serenade for Strings in C Major. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know how to pronounce the first two parts of his name, but it doesn't really <laughs> matter. If you can just say Peter Tchaikovsky, right. it's not, you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, but tell me about this one. Uh, there is no more beautiful piece in the world than this, and I know I said that the other <laughs> few times. But trust me when I say there is no other piece in the world as beautiful as this piece. Again, I chose it for visceral, emotional attachment reasons. Um, when I was in high school, we um, we played this for Nisma. Nisma is, you know, basically how the state grades your ensemble or you as like a musician. Right. And we played this, and it was a level six. Level six is the highest, and we got the first silver that um, our school's ever gotten in music for that. And it was very fun for us. This is just what it sounds like. It is a serenade. It is a love song. You know, Tchaikovsky was so emotional and so gay. And (laughs) he was just like the gayest, saddest motherfucker in the game. Like he really, I mean... He's written beautiful things. I mean, he is like, when you think of the romantic era of classical music, your brain immediately goes to Tchaikovsky because of the things that he was able to create. And I don't really have any other reasons to explain this piece any further. It's just something, I chose it because, again, of a childhood memory. Um, But also, whenever I hear it, I can't turn it off. It is just something that always will send chills down my spine. It will always give me goosebumps. I will always love it. I will always, when at work and whenever I'm working, um, you know, and they give, and like orchestras will give us options. I'm like, please do whatever you can to force them to play serenade for strings. I don't care if you have to bring a string quartet <laughs> because it's only for strings. It's not for an orchestra. So it's only, again, I'm biased because cellist, I want only strings all the time. I'm like, I don't care if they have to fly in a whole string ensemble, I need to hear this piece live with like the best orchestras in the world. Please. And rant, it's just so stunning. I don't think I can top that. <laughs> um, it's just too beautiful. I'll just say kind of what I had in my notes <laughs> is that it made me want to dance. <laughs> it ma- like slow dance? Yeah. 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 It's, it's it, j- it just... It like makes me think of like a ballroom makes, dance. Yeah, it just you makes know. your heart well, I mean, I don't know if it I want to dance. Like I just kind of want to like lay on the floor and drink <laughs> because it's so beautiful. <laughs> and it has four. I forgot which movement I gave you. I don't remember if it's um, all of them. Or you gave me C major, up 48, TH 48, one pezzo in forma D. Sonatino oh, it's the first. Mo- it's, it's, the fir- it's the first movement. Yeah. I just needed. I just <laughs> like needed. The, I just needed the Roman numeral. It's the first. Yeah, no, that just one. It's just show very people grand. how dumb I am as no, I'm reading. <laughs> no, I mean, like, like sure yes, you I took know. a year of music theory in high yeah, school. Yeah, no, I know that some of the classical ones, like it's very, very long because that's. I mean, Tchaikovsky right. was also very traditional. Traditional in the sense that, like, he wanted formal titles. I don't think there's anything. You know, like Vivaldi, where it was like spring, summer, fall, yeah, winter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is like very, very standard. Like, this is the piece, this is the movement, this is the tempo. So that whole thing you try to pronounce the pezzo is, yeah, yeah. you know, is a tempo. Right. And yeah. um, no, the I, first movement is... I know is what that is. <laughs> I don't know what you know. <sighs> anyway, <laughs> um, the first movement is very grand. It's like a very standard, beautiful intro. The second movement is um, like a waltz, and we always call it the drunk waltz because Tchaikovsky was 
um, sad, gay, boozing. and drunk, and a <laughs> boozer. He was a boozer, and um, a lot of a lot of those great artists we learn a lot about when we're younger. And I will say it again drunks. with another with another composer that you have. I mean, like gay and a boozer and just sad. Um, <laughs> original emo rockers, if you know my opinion. Um, the third movement is. It rips your heart apart, <laughs> and then like the fourth one is kind of like the first one, where it's like very grand, and it just like shows up so much technical skill. I don't know. Just l- if you ever have the time, to anybody who dares listen to this, just listen through the entire piece, movement one, two, three, and four. It, you won't regret it. It's absolutely stunning. Let's move on into my next <laughs> pick. Uh, I can talk about that piece all day long. Which was Mercy by Max Richter. <gasps> I don't know if the mic picked you up, but you just whispered, I love that one. (laughs) Um, So when I took notes, I doodle a lot when I take notes, especially when it comes to music notes. Um, If I love someone, if I love someone, if I love someone, as in like a composer or a writer or like the piece in general, I will put hearts, and this one got three hearts. I'm I'm actually very glad that you said that, because I remember when we first started talking, I mentioned Max Richter. Um, because I've been yeah. a fan of Max Richter for a little while. Admittedly, I don't think I've watched anything that he's done a score for. Mm-hmm. Um, I only, I heard someone mention him on a podcast and I started listening to him and I was like, this is great. And I mm-hmm. remember I mentioned him to you and you were kind of like, eh, he's fine. <laughs> you know, I, Look, I don't I, really. I, I had, I had to study music intensively since the age of like 15 I'm 26 now. Um, so I feel like I have some kind of like biased, stubborn, kind of snobby approach to classical music. So whenever there's like a new composer in the game, I'm like, you will never be Stravinsky or Tchaikovsky. Stop trying, you plebeian. And then I forget that there are composers out there at Juilliard trying to be like the next. Well, so <laughs> one of the things thing. I remember, the first thing I ever heard about Max Richter Someone said, you know, the closest thing we have to like a Bach, Beethoven, or Mozart now Mm. are people like Max Richter who mostly work in like film and movie and TV scores, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and I mean, we'll talk more about all of those things coming up. Um, But I think Max Richter also kind of has a little bit of that John Cage-ness to Mm -hmm. him where he's a bit of a performance artist. He has a piece called Sleep. And mm-hmm. I remember he did a concert. It was outdoors where he was performing to people on cots. And the concert started at like 10, 11 o'clock at night and ended at like 6, 7 o'clock in the morning. So people too. could sleep through it. Mm-hmm. And it's incredibly interesting and kind of funny and interesting as like a artist. Um, this song, I just 
like. It's soothing, but it's also mournful and sad. Yeah. Um, a lot of Max Richter stuff makes me feel very melancholic. Um, just sort of in that same sense mm-hmm. of sitting in the car by yourself. <laughs> with while the music. it rains. <laughs> yeah. But like, Sad boy brand to a T. Funny. The first time I heard about Max Richter, that podcast I was listening to, it was it was Josh Radner from mm-hmm. How I Met Your Mother who mm-hmm. wrote Liberal Arts. And he was also, the, pod, the theme of the podcast was people talking about things that made them cry <laughs> <laughs> so and That's he talked about a max one. richter song yeah. um so yeah this just makes me feel right that's basically the same thing i said i think when i was listening to this i was very like calm and at peace with what i was listening to and like while i was writing about it i had like a moment of nostalgia where i was like i am listening to something right now and taking notes i feel like i am <laughs> 19 again taking notes on classical pieces. And that that's honestly one of the things that I loved so much about my minor because I'm a nerd in that way. And, you know, like what I said with The Swan, it's um, although that there are concertos out there in the world where you can show off all of your stunts and all of your technicality, there is nothing that makes me happier with classical music when something is calm and deliberate and it doesn't need to be showy, you know what I mean? Like you can show off like all of the emotion and I felt like in this piece I felt like his body move with the instrument and that's what I love more than a flashy you know concerto absolutely Hmm. let's keep on rolling along into your next pick which was the carousel waltz by Rodgers and Hammerstein ah Carousel is like old and boring and long, but like what I will say is I think, and I'm not familiar with Carousel at all. I've never seen it, never it's been a three in and a half it. hour musical. I'm it is well like the, aware. It's, it's one of the be- Carousel is one of the beginning musicals of like what we see Broadway today, right? And I I totally understand so there's a that. lot of like I old school classical elements to it. The only memory I have associated with Carousel is a bad one. Is that why you um, don't like this? No. Oh. Um, <laughs> but the only memory I have associated with Carousel was when I was in London when I was 14 years old. Oh, God. Um, we went and we met up with my mom's cousin that lives in mm-hmm. London, grew up in London. You know, she had two sons that were a little bit older than me, but close to the same age. One was like 17 when I was 14. Right. And I remember we went and we got dinner with them one night and they said, oh, you know, we bought these tickets to this new musical that's opening tomorrow night, um, you know, and but we can't go. Um, So we're going to give them to you. The musical was called Too Close to the Sun. Um, 
It never got an American debut. Mm-hmm. Um, it was about the final days of Ernest Hemingway, which oh, would wow. probably make a very good drama, mm. but it wasn't a very good musical. Right. <laughs> um, and I've told musical theater friends about this after that. Um, but the reason they couldn't go was their son was having his senior play where he was the stage manager for Carousel. Um, ah. <laughs> but yeah. There it is. So that was the Carousel connection. I did not like this because it's very long. Um, the musical is three and a half hours right. long. And <laughs> you could probably answer this. Mm. When this happens in the play... Mm-hmm. Is there like dialogue over it, or is it just no? This is just this is the overture. Oh, I would shoot myself in the head. Oh, it's the overture. That's fine. <laughs> Does it not say overture? It. I don't think no, it's it a doesn't. The carousel waltz. Overture, That's the it makes overture. a little bit more sense. Okay, yeah. you know, because so, I'm like sitting there listening. I'm like, I kind of see how this could work in a musical. You know, but I'm like, mm. I don't get the. I mean, again, I chose it for emotional and visceral right, reasons. But go ahead. Um, I was a freshman at Oneonta, and this was the first musical I ever did. And I've never heard of Carousel. Um, and I didn't really know what to expect. And then once I realized it was three and a half hours long, I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> really? Once I finally like learned my part, I fell in love with this musical a little bit more. I didn't really care that it was three and a half hours long. But when I was in a sorority, my friends were very, very upset that I took three and a half hours out of their Friday night. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, once I learned, I, the, it sounds really weird, but the reason why I love this piece is more physical. I love the way I had to move my arms and my fingers for this piece. It's like, I, it's fun to play. Like I had to use the entire, I felt, you know, there's some pieces like when you're learning how to play a classical instrument, there are some pieces that are like, eh, whatever. I have to do this because I have to do this. And then there are pieces that remind you why you love to play. And this was one of those pieces. Like I loved the way I had to use my entire bow. I loved the way my arm got sore at the end of it. I loved the way the cello felt like like on my chest. I mean, if anybody knows how you hold a cello, you sit with it and it kind of leans against your chest. So it would lean against my chest. And I loved the way it sent like the vibrations down my body because the cello part was written in like the warmest, warmest like tone of the cello. So like it just like, it always sent shivers down my spine. So this is more of like, I love this because A, memories, B, the way it physically made me feel. No, I get that. I I used to have that when I was playing guitar where there were there were there are riffs that I still love to play just because they feel feel good. good. Mm-hmm. Um, I will uh, beat it is my go to like nice. if I have distortion on a guitar <laughs> and I'm like, all right, gotta first play. thing I got to try is how does it sound with beat it. Right. So I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, th- like I said, it just didn't do it for me. And I think I remember when my parents came to visit to literally see that musical. They were like, Emma why is this so long i'm like look it's it's a very very old musical and back in the day that was a night out for people three and a half hours in the theater Ooh, let's go i can picture your parents texting you at the intermission being like what the fuck is this why are we listening to a clam bake i'm like look i hmm." hey that was my family when they came to see me do shakespeare in high school (laughs) right right. (laughs) um but let's keep on rolling along into my next song, which was 
Ahe- I don't know how to pronounce this. I Ahem can't even help you with this. By Bryce Desner. What a piece. <laughs> Look, <laughs> I, what, I took notes, and you can see how my notes go from nice taking notes, pretty music, to I'm a psychopath, and I have no idea what I'm listening to, but I live for pieces like this. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, so you, you told me about everything before I live for pieces like this before we did this podcast, where mm-hmm. you were like, what the fuck is that? Because I, I like, have a lot of feelings, right, but, but they're I, good feelings. I thought you were going to be like, oh, I fucking hate it. <laughs> no, this is what I want my neoclassical, modern, young composers of the day to write. And like, I didn't do any research on Bruce Bryce Desner. Desner. Bryce Desner. Bryce Desner. I wrote He's Bruce. He's one of the guitarists from The National. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Him. Aaron, well, his brother is producing Taylor Swift records right now. <laughs> must be lit to be them. I, they use so many and I know I went from like you don't need to be technical and you don't need to like you can just play long pretty notes and I love you this is the piece that has all of the technical crazy virtuosic like things that I look for so like I wrote down like so many terms when it came to this like it is crazy syncopated. It sounds like a war song. It sounds like a battle cry. It's they chaotic. Do, it's it chaos. Sounds, it sounds like and a fight. I, That's it sounds what it makes like a fight. Think. It makes me and think of like guns. Right, right from the bat, you just think like da 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 da. Yes, yes. That's what I wrote. The first thing I wrote was war slash battle song. Yeah. It sounds like a journey. It's aggressive. Like with the strings, they're using like the lower half of the bow. So that's where all of their strength is. And they use like Coleño. Coleño is like, I don't know if you remember in the piece where it sounds like it has like oh, like, yeah, like yeah, yeah. no I that's coleño is when string players like turn their bow around and they tap on the oh, strings okay. with the wooden part of their bow and i was like oh shit i see you i see you so with that this modern was pretty thing. much just bryce desner like nerding out showing this is bryce desner like looking at a string instrument and be like what noise can i make out of this right which and i think is i think uh, I don't know how, I know you listen a little bit um, to The National. I don't know how mm-hmm. much of The National you've actually explored. Um, the National get out there mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes. I loved it. Um, I, and the fact that they were like, the fact that like he was, what well, this is how I see it in my head. The fact that he was like looking at a string, like a violin or a cello and being like, what kind of sounds can I make out of this? But it wasn't like obnoxious. It wasn't like let me fit all of this, all of these sounds into a piece. He organized it to make it sound like an actual. It is an actual piece. Right. Like I hear a lot of like you know. He has other stuff that yeah. maybe you should explore just to kind yeah, of yeah like, absolutely. I, I really really I don't think anything's as crazy as this. I mm-hmm. think that 
this other stuff is a little bit more mellow, but mm. I think he might be, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't mm. have the ear for Where did you first stuff. listen to this? That's like what I put in a box. I was like, James, where did you hear this right, from? Right, but the <laughs> answer is that it the was national, the guy yeah. from the Nat. I was like, ooh, guy from the Nationals making classical music. Boom, click, um, yeah. That was like the headline on Pitchfork for a day. Where <laughs> it was like Bryce Desner of the National right. releasing classical compositions. Where right. I think there's like two or three that he's put out, like mm -hmm. albums of this sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I really enjoy it. And I think, mm -hmm. like I said, I think if you listen to kind of the National and a lot of the different stuff that they've done, they are very skilled and technical musicians. Mm -hmm. And I think that shines. Yeah, what I heard with this is like the biggest thing was like these are very, very smart, genius musicians. Right. Like at, at the very, very core. And then especially when you told me it was like he's from the National, I was just like, he's a brilliant musician just right. without adding any other kind of like is he a rock musician is he a classical musician is he a composer like he is just brilliant with music those two brothers one of the things i end up thinking about a lot is um the national were part of an art exhibit at mm -hmm. the moma mm -hmm. called a lot of sorrow <laughs> and i I've, think i remember I've, hearing about that i've played you the song sorrow a lot <laughs> um it's very sad <laughs> no shit <laughs> <laughs> but they played sorrow i don't know i forget the exact number but they played it for six hours straight mm -hmm. and i mean there's some variations in it sometimes they played it straight sometimes they like experimented something there's like a time without drums there was a time that the lead singer started crying in the middle of it mm -hmm. um it was a real endurance test but if you read they put it all out on like a series of like eight vinyl records or something for like mm -hmm. super limited quality. It was like two, 300 bucks to get the box set or whatever, <laughs> which you have to be a huge national fan to be like, Oh, I absolutely. Want this. Um, but they said, one of the things they said is like, Oh, the Desner brothers immediately start fucking around with the guitars as they go along. So, mm -hmm. You listen to that, you listen to their most recent record, I Am Easy to Find, you know, that that record has so many elements of, like, gospel and classical music and electronic music. Like, they're musician musicians, even though they kind of stroll around in this depressed indie mm -hmm. rock sphere. <laughs> right, right. Where I'm like, I like listening to Matt Berninger sing about getting drunk. Yep. <laughs> you know, but um, anyway, um... Let's keep on rolling along into your next pick, which was Piano Trio in G Minor, Op 17 by Clara Schumann. Funny I've been here. saying it the whole time. I like totally <laughs> missed it up until now. It's Opus, <laughs> like as in like 17. Opus number. 
Um, tell me a little bit about this one. <sighs> this one to me just sounded like funeral music, and it's very pretty, but it yeah. made me think of like a funeral. I dirge. chose this because I am a gnarly feminist. Um, so Clara Schumann was the wife of Robert Schumann. Robert Schumann was significantly more famous because he has a dick. And so <laughs> this is where I get more vulgar, I guess. So <laughs> Clara Schumann, again, was the wife. And she was also a musician, but she was also the battered wife of Robert Schumann because Robert Schumann suffered from psychosis and panic he was like the uh, like the og like mental patient so zelda and, and scott fitzgerald basically sort of and so he ha- lived at a certain point he lived the rest of his days like in a mental institution um but she remained a faithful wife and although she loved music music she loved music she wanted to be a musician she wanted to be a composer just like her husband she wasn't allowed to because women weren't allowed to do that and um so she had to release music under her husband's name. And there, I, f- I don't know who the musicologists were at the time, but people had to like go back into history and f- like look at her original scores to see like what did Robert write and what did Clara write. And Clara, That's you know, she's, yeah. So um, similar things happened with Fanny Mendelssohn, who was the sister of Felix Mendelssohn. Her name was Cecilia. I named my cello after her because history kind of writes her as this brute, like this very th- like thick, muscular, bigger woman. Who, but like she loved music so much and she wanted to be just like her brother. And a lot of his, a lot of Felix's famous works were written by Fanny. Um, so similarly with Clara, you know, this trio was very, very popular, like, you know, house concert music. Everybody wanted to play this. They were like, Robert, we love this. We like this. Again, like you said, it's very pretty. It's very simple. It's, you know, yeah. just, it's a trio, and that's pretty much all it is. And it's, it's soft. You and can it's listen soft, to and it. it's gentle. And they're like, play this because it's just easy. But that right. was all along, it was Clara's that's like music. That's why, like, I'm putting on, like, Miles Davis when we're having dinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I chose this just because, you know, um, I have. Be, you know, because of my views, I have a very strong sense of love for these, you know, women composers right. and especially And you've Clara. told me about your your particular fondness for, like, Claire Schumann. You've told me a lot about... You've taught me a lot about, like, female composers because mm-hmm. it's not something I no. tend to think about just because you, my background is rock music. Right. And, you know, even though rock music is I mean, think about think about think all of, so of like the obstacles like people like Joan Jett had to overcome because right. they're she's a female and she's a rock star. Right. Things like even but think like of like Miley Cyrus right now. Like she's going for the vision she always wanted for herself and people are like, What the fuck are you doing, right. Miley? It's kind of like, you know, women in music will always kind of have a step a, back. S- a step back and they'll always have to right. fight more. And especially people like Clara who were like not only did I have to put my psycho husband into a mental institution, I can't even. Write I still have to use his. N- I can't name. even write music yeah. under my own name because women are, women belong in the kitchen. Women belong only to be mothers and bear children and. Da da. So anyway, um, yeah. I love Clara and I love Fanny, but this was a piece, again that I played <laughs> and so I chose Clara over because Fanny wrote more like songs like vocal music right. um, and I didn't have you know I didn't get to really 
and I guess like because like when I was in college, this was like more of like when I was heightened. I was learning more about the world, and I was. I, this is when I also when I picked up the women and gender studies minor, and I had a lot of like angry feelings. So when I when I was learning how to play this piece, I'm like, I'm doing this for her. I'm doing this for her because nobody knows who Clara is. And I dedicated so much time, you know, and, and and I also like wrote a paper about her because I was like, again, I'm gonna dedicate all my time to feminism because I have nothing better to do. And um, so, and it was so, I remember it being so much harder to write about her than it was to write about Stravinsky because there's nothing right, there's on not her. A lot of information. And if I wanted to do research, I would literally have to go to Europe right. to and look like at her original scores and her original letters that are in a museum. Right. This has been a Lughole Podcast. <laughs>